Welcome back to another episode of Heaven and Healing Podcast. You can catch a live recording of the show over on YouTube where I stream every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Central Time. Go subscribe to my channel if you haven't already. It's Angela Ucci, Heaven and Healing Podcast, and be sure to ring the bell to be notified for live stream reminders and more. Whatever platform you're currently listening on, please give the show a five-star rating and written review to help get this into more people's ears. And please consider partnering with the ministry as Heaven and Healing is entirely crowdfunded. There are different options to support the show down in the episode description. Thank you so much for your continued support and prayers. Enjoy the episode and God bless. is that Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 18. That's what we're diving into this evening. Um, again, I just want to wish you all a happy new year and let you know if you don't know already that I did release a video. It's only about 10, 15 minutes. It's called 20 things that I learned in 2023. I pray that you will be blessed by that video. Um, it was a blessing for me to create because it all came to me when I was just kind of praying on my year and uh, reflecting on the goodness of God. So yeah, it was really nice to share that. Go check that out if you haven't already. Also, we just started the Testimony Tuesday series yesterday. The first one came out. It is called um, New Age. It's something like New Age Couldn't Heal or New Age Made Her Depression Worse. I'm really glad that I know my own content. Um, anyway, it's in the <laughs> Testimony Tuesday playlist. So just go there. Uh, check that out. The goal with the testimonies is for them to only be about 30 minutes so that they're very palpable, not only for you, but also for any unbeliever that's just like curiously scrolling through Instagram and, or YouTube and it comes up on their feed sort of thing. So yeah, um, go check that out if you haven't already. I'm excited for next week's to be released. And one more announcement before we dive into this. I changed my name on Instagram officially, Angela Marie Scafidi. Mike, if you could put that in the chat to let them know the spelling. It's no longer Angela Marie Ucci. I've been married for a long time now, since April uh, 25th, 2023. The Lord told me specifically in October, I remember exactly where I was, exactly what I was doing when he told me to change my name to the married name because he told me specifically, I gave you a new name. I made you a new creation and I was defiant out of fear. I was letting the enemy lie to me. Oh, people aren't going to be able to find you. Michael Knowles, Isaiah Saldivar, Vlad Savchuk, all your biggest interviews are under Uchi. Everyone knows you as Uchi. They get confused when you change your profile picture, let alone your name. So I let the enemy lie to me, but you know what? I did it yesterday because it's, or the day before yesterday, because it's 2024. We can't be disobedient to the Lord. No more unsubmissive username, right? Because I'm a wife. I got to submit to my husband. So we're officially done with like the Jezebel, uh, the Jezebel username. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay. So yes, stick around for the end of this video. We will close out in a prayer and have a uh, Q and a right here in the live chat. Again, like the video, the amount of you watching does not match the likes. So let's fix that. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's get right into it. Welcome back to the Spiritual Warfare series for Christians. This is going to be the fourth of five conversations that we will be having on spiritual warfare. And it's going fast. I feel like it was just last week that I started this whole thing, but it was in fact four weeks ago. Um, 
And I want to say, y'all, the Lord has really been using this series to refine me. Like, because he is ministering to my heart and just pouring so much into me to pour into you throughout these last four weeks. There have been so many trials and lessons and things that he has walked me through as he has walked me through the teachings. And it's just really been honestly incredible. Like it's amazing the way the intimacy with the Lord develops and the understanding of the word matures and your ability to just really yield to and obey his spirit, like how that all becomes so, so, so at the forefront and at the center of your life when you really just believe him. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a blessing. Um, again, share this video to your Instagram, let everyone know that we are live. Did not do my hair tonight. All right. So we're going to recap the series thus far before we get into the fourth topic. Um, just if in case anyone's tuning in for the first time. Um, so week number one to kick off the spiritual warfare series was about repentance. And it was about how Acts 2021 20, is specific that faith and repentance go hand in hand, recognizing not only that your sin cost Christ on the cross, but that the cost has indeed been paid for in full because the price has been paid. You have actually been redeemed, right? Meaning your identity is no longer sinner. So with that repentance video, we really focused on our identity, walking in faith that we have indeed been made blameless and that his righteousness now reckons us a saint. And it is because of this empowerment of his righteousness that we have the ability to live free from sin, right? Not a sinless perfection lifestyle by our own works where we just wake up and we try not to sin and have all this sin consciousness. No, that's the law. It's about waking up and just knowing that we belong to him. That's what it is when we talk about walking free of sin. And the message of the repentance episode was all about, you know, not perfection or works. It was all about belief, right? And, uh, yeah, the repentance aspect of the spiritual warfare series was really heavy on how the Bible talks about sin as an if issue rather than a when issue and why we should therefore treat it in the same way, not as something that's expected of us now that we're a new creation, but something we have been set free from thanks to him. And of course, the power of faith in our identity as a saint that he has given us and how because of that, he empowers us to walk in the light as he is the light. Because look, here's the theme with like all, all of this whole entire series, right? It's if the devil can convince you that you're not free, even though Christ paid for your freedom, then the church just remains weak and brittle, right? Because then we're only waiting on heaven to be saved rather than being saved right now, rather than demonstrating the true power of the gospel in how it has enabled us to live, okay? That's the ongoing theme of the spiritual warfare series. Um, and then part two is about forgiveness. And much like part one, the forgiveness video came back to our responsibility to cast the log out of our own eye, as scripture tells us, before we talk about casting out demons or focus on the ways how other people have wronged us, et cetera, et cetera. And we talked about how bitter unforgiveness is a fruit produced by the root of unrighteous anger, which Ephesians 4 specifically tells us not to act on because it actually gives a foothold to the devil. It actually gives him a place in our lives with this unforgiving heart posture. 
Because why? Unforgiveness is directly antithetical to the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which the Bible says we will actually be known by, right? It's not you're going to be known by your church attendance, or you're going to be known by the prayer you prayed to go to heaven. It's you're going to be known by your fruit. So therefore, living with an unforgiving heart is living outside of God's kingdom, which doesn't mean you're not saved or not in good standing with God. So don't hear what's not being said. It just means that you're not living like you're saved. It means that you're not living like you've been made in good standing with God. Because when you truly recognize that nothing anyone could ever do to you could even be an iota as corrupt as your former sin against God, you then recognize that you have no right to be taking those things personally because God didn't take it personally, right? Jesus didn't drop the cross. So when you live in a place of offense, bitter unforgiveness, unrighteous anger, hostility, resentment, any of those things alike, it's just not reflective of the kingdom of God. It's reflective of the kingdom of darkness, which the Bible says you have been transferred from. And so biblically, we do give the enemy a place when we take things personal, right? We give the enemy a place when we refuse to forgive as we have been forgiven, which is a command from Jesus himself, by the way. Because we have not just been forgiven for our sake, for the sake of being forgiven. We've been forgiven to exemplify his forgiveness. Because that same Jesus told us to pick up our cross and follow him. Okay, so then finally last week, my favorite topic, which is mind renewal, the thesis of that video was, of course, on Romans 12, 12, which tells us not to be conformed to the ways of the world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we really got into what that looks like exactly. So with that, there was the discussion on conforming to the world, um, really just meaning believing lies, right? Um, believing that your identity is who you were before Christ rather than who you are now that you have been made alive unto Christ, right? It's just believing any lofty opinion that exalts itself above the word of God. It's believing that the flesh nature has more power over you than the spirit of the living God that the Bible promises has actually been placed inside of you. It's conforming to the world is believing that you have any sort of right to be living for yourself when we're supposed to love not our own life unto death, and abide in him. So then alternatively, on the flip side of that, being transformed by the renewing of the mind ultimately comes back to faith, which again, the overall theme of the spiritual warfare series, which we're going to see in a second evidenced in the armor of God topic, because to be transformed by the renewing of your mind has to come from a place where you first believe that it's actually possible to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not because you can do it in your own strength, right? It's not about works. It's not about you. It's about believing him when he says that his grace is sufficient and that you have indeed been saved by grace through what? Faith. So we have to know that mercy and grace are different because mercy is what gives you a chance. And then grace is what empowers you now that you have been given a chance. And so a renewed mind takes those lies captive to Christ. A renewed mind knows it has been transformed by the power of the blood. A renewed mind believes that when the flesh is weak, the spirit is always willing, like the Bible says. And finally, a renewed mind is transformed by what Christ went through rather than what we've been through or what we're going through. And so... The whole thing with that episode was simply not believing lies, right? 
Not about trying, trying, trying to make bad thoughts go away, but simply not believing them if they come up because the devil is always going to try to get your heart. He's always going to try to get to your heart because that's where your belief is. So he gets to your heart by attacking your mind and he's an accuser and that's what accusers do. They accuse. So what, like 15 minutes in, there's the <laughs> recap. Um, now, look, I highly recommend that you do go back and you watch those first three videos if you haven't already. This whole series is integral, built upon the foundation of the last. They're all important. Every topic is important. You can't have one without the other sort of thing. So I do recommend um, watching the repentance video, the forgiveness video, and the mind renewal video if you have not already. So now... We are in week four. And let me know in the chat how you've been enjoying the series so far, by the way. Any testimonies of the series? Leave it in the chat as we move through this. I'd love to hear them. Like the video if you haven't already. Week four, we're going to talk about the armor of God this evening. And as I've mentioned before, these topics all ricochet off one another, right? And the primary thesis that orbits all of them is faith. And, you know, I've said this before, um, look, I'm not out to hurt your feelings with any of this. That's never my intention. Of course, of course, I'm making these videos because I love you. Um, but that being said, while I don't want to hurt your feelings, I'm also not here to validate or pacify your feelings at the same time, because let's be honest, y'all, nothing about scripture is about validating feelings. It's about fortifying faith, right? Because actually, if we're in our feels all the time, we're not dead to ourselves. We're still conformed to the world. We're not transformed by the renewing of our mind. So it's not about your feels. It's about your faith. And so that's really the goal with the spiritual warfare series. It's not to make it about casting out demons or to make it about other people or to make it about what you've been through. It's about your faith. The whole spiritual warfare series is about fortifying your faith because hear me out. If you were the devil, and thank God you're not. If you were the devil, what is one thing that you would do your best to steal, kill, and destroy in the life of a believer? If you can't have the believer's salvation, then what are you going to go after? Because the enemy knows that he can't take from you what Christ has freely given, but he can take away your faith in embodying what Christ has freely given. The devil is after your faith. And the thing about the devil whose only goal is to steal, kill, and destroy, is he doesn't play fair. He doesn't play easy <laughs> at all. He is cunning. He is mischievous. He is intelligent. He is patient. Above all, he is wicked. And the Bible says that we must remain sober and vigilant to his ways, that we must not be ignorant to those devices lest we will be taken advantage of and even devoured by the devil. So the devil wants your faith because your faith in anything other than the totality of the gospel is actually how we start to agree 
with the devil. Hear me again when I say that. The devil wants your faith because your faith in anything other than the totality of the gospel is how we come into agreement with the devil. Okay, that's how we give demons legal rights. That's how we give the enemy a foothold because we as Christians don't really comprehend the power of our faith that your Bible says is what his grace empowers you to be saved by. It is through that faith that we are saved by grace. And we truly wrestle in this battle, this battle, by the way, that is not against flesh and blood. The battle is not against flesh and blood. So we wrestle with that battle, not by always fighting with hell, but by agreeing with heaven. It's won by our agreement with heaven by walking in the victory that has already been achieved when Christ said it is finished. When we agree with that, okay? The gates of hell actually cannot prevail. They can't prevail against him and thus they can't prevail against you. The battle has been won. Y'all, you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. That's not me giving you like some sort of pseudo encouragement or, you know, like self-help sermon. That's literally what your Bible says. You are more than a conqueror, more than a victor in Christ Jesus. Y'all, I read all this stuff in the Bible. It's there. I promise it's there. It's not my old new age teachings creeping into my biblical worldview, which like I said in the last episode, that's something that I've been accused of recently. It's in your Bible. Okay. It's promised and fulfilled in your Bible. And it's promised and fulfilled in your Bible. You know why? For you to walk in the fulfillment of, okay. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. It's good news. And and that's, that's my exhortation for you all, because I just want you all to live like it is. We should all be living like it's good news. Like we are walking out the good news. Like we have the privilege and the honor and the blessing to actually walk out the good news of the gospel that we have been set free, that the gates of hell cannot prevail. That the enemy cannot snatch us out of his hand. That we have been made a new creation alive unto Christ. Alive unto Christ. No longer in bondage to the old man to sin or to death. But made alive by his spirit. Okay? It really is like such good news. (laughs) And I just want all... I want all of us to rejoice. I want all of us to rejoice in that together. You know, the devil is so good. The devil is so good at having everyone online fight about theology all the time. 
all of us at each other's throats about theology, about this, about that, instead of all living in unity, just rejoicing that the good news is true and that it's ours for the taking right here and now. Like we are saved and we're fighting online about theology. <sighs> Tangent, my point is, you see, if we fight not against flesh and blood, right? What does that mean exactly? What does fighting not against flesh and blood actually mean? It means that none of this is actually a theological thing to argue about on the internet. <laughs> it means that none of this is uh, a, an intellectual thing, right? None of this is a physical thing. It's a faith thing. That's what we wrestle not against flesh and blood means. It means it's a faith thing. Everything in your Bible is a faith thing. Everything in your Bible is a faith thing. So there's my intro. I always, how long was that? Like 30 minutes? I'm sorry. But look, I'm fired up. I'm excited. I just, I love this. I love the gospel. I love the gospel. <laughs> I love Jesus. I love being his. You know, I was reading Romans last night with my husband. This is just a little sidebar. I was reading Romans last night with my husband and I was just blown away by how remarkable the Bible is because it's literally every word of it is inscribed by his Holy Spirit. It's infallible, like it's perfect. And every time I read it, I just think to myself, how can, how can we like read this? Anyone in the world, how can anyone in the world read this and not see that this is a divine manuscript, that this is the only thing the Holy Spirit has truly just poured out into and created as a, as a book, if you will. I don't even like calling it a book because it's a sword, which we're going to get to, but I just love the Bible. Romans is amazing. And especially when you read the Bible in context and you really understand it, like when he's, when you're asking Holy Spirit to, you know, because Holy Spirit lives inside of you so he can interpret scripture on your behalf. You just have to ask him, right? So that you're not trying to overanalyze things. He's just telling you what it says in context. Like it's the most remarkable thing. So yeah, I'm excited about this. I'm excited about Jesus. I'm excited about what he's made possible for us. Um, let's talk about it then. The armor of God. The armor of God, okay? So before we go through the actual scripture of where this comes from, I want to talk logistically about what the purpose of armor actually is so that we have that in our minds as we get into this. Um, so Google says that armor is protective clothing with the ability that deflects or absorbs the impact of projectiles or other weapons that may be used against its wearer, okay? So that's why we are instructed to wear it in Ephesians, right? Because it is a guarantee. It is a guarantee that as Christians living in this world, there are weapons formed against us. That's a guarantee. Your Bible promises that. However, your Bible also promises that those weapons formed against you shall not what? Shall not prosper. And that's the purpose of armor. That's the very definition of armor. Not to keep the attacks from coming, not to avoid the attacks, not to be exempt from the attacks, the persecution, the trials, the obstacles, but to be protected against it all. And often in battle, right, armor gets quite chinged up, doesn't it? 
It doesn't remain spotless. The only way really for armor to remain undefiled is if a soldier like isn't doing his job, if, if he isn't going out on the battleground, if he isn't going out on the front line, if he doesn't have the courage to fight the fight, if he if he just hides instead, if he hides from the enemy, then yeah, his, his armor is not gonna get dinged up at all, but he's also not fighting. So the goal here isn't to have armor that isn't damaged. It's to wear the armor in order to deflect the damage on our flesh. And isn't that interesting? I'll say that again. We wear the armor to deflect the damage on our flesh. Armor is specifically designed to protect our flesh. It's designed to keep the enemy's weapons away from the flesh so that it doesn't penetrate the flesh, so that it doesn't harm the flesh, so that it doesn't indulge the flesh. Are you starting to see how this is so much more than just a metaphor? Because y'all, that's what the enemy does. He attacks our flesh. When we are weak in the spirit, we are susceptible in the flesh. And when we are susceptible in the flesh, our faith in him is weak. And when our faith in him is weak, our agreement is in our circumstances. Our agreement is in what we're going through. Our agreement is in our feelings. Our agreement is in the lies of hell rather than in the promises of heaven. So the armor of God is to protect our flesh by actually allowing it no chance to be harmed at all, right? Because we make the daily choice to put on the armor of God by faith. Because obviously the armor of God is not this physical costume that we put on every morning when we wake up, right? It's not something that you have hanging in your closet right now. So it's faith. That's what I keep saying. It's faith. You don't put on physical armor. You put on the armor in faith that you're walking in it and thus walking in the spirit and not by the flesh. The flesh actually cannot be damaged when you walk by faith that you are indeed wearing the armor. Do you see how that works? Because that's the very purpose of armor, to protect your flesh. The armor of God actually denies the flesh and indulges the spirit because it requires us to walk in faith that we have it on. It's a declaration of agreement that we will not allow our flesh to be penetrated by the enemy. We will not allow our flesh to be wounded and thus walk out our Christian life from our wounded flesh, but walk it out by the strength of the spirit from the protection of the armor of God. Hallelujah. So I'm going to go through this amazing scripture verse by verse. Um, so I'm going to keep bringing it up on the screen for you guys as we continue to reference it. Okay. So let me get that up here. Uh, let me block this person in my chat and move on. Okay. So Mike, you're the only mod I have in my chat. I need you to remove people like that. Thank you. Okay, so here we have the verse, Ephesians 6, verses 8 through 10, or I'm sorry, 10 through 18. I'm glad I can read. 
it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Okay. So yeah, I use the King James version there, um, for this one particularly, because I honestly, I love the deliberate language of the King James version when it comes to this verse specifically. I just think it's so so powerful. Okay. Um, and I just love this verse. I love Ephesians six verses 10 through 18. And I love it so much more now that I realize it's not something to actually, you know, just hang up on your fridge or write on a piece of paper or make your, your background on your phone screen. I love it now more that I realize that we can walk in and apply it to our lives. Okay. And that's really what I pray you're going to walk out of. You're going to walk out with by the end of this video. Um, that these words would not just be in a caption on your Instagram photo or on the, uh, the screen of your phone. Like I said, right. That it would actually be stored in your heart and lived by the faith of believing that it is true because it is. So we're going to go through it line by line. Okay. Sorry, I got spooked. My computer screen like froze for a second. Um, so the first line of it is that finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So what does that mean exactly? What does it mean to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might? Well, it's clear there that it's not our own power. First of all, it's his power. It's in the power of his might. So right off the bat here, right off the bat, we are being commanded, okay? Not just suggested, we are actually being commanded to be strong. And with that, we are being reminded that the strength 
that we are commanded to have is not by our own works. It's not by our own righteousness. It's not by our own will or by our own ability, but it is by the power of his might that enables us to be strong at all. And it really goes um, hand in hand with this other verse. So let's bring that up. Okay. Second Corinthians 12 verses eight through 10. And by the way, we're back to ESV with the other verses. Okay. The Ephesians six is the only one that we are going <laughs> to keep for the King James version, just for the sake of palpability to spare you of the, the yees and the thous and the, the, the you know, so second Corinthians, um, 12 verses 8 through 10. I made a typo there, but that's okay. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So just as a sidebar, this is a verse that's taken out of context a lot of the time. And again, okay, it's this way. If you're looking at it, I made a typo. It should be 2 Corinthians 12. But if you know me, you know my thing with typos. But it's taken out of context a lot of the time. People are like, oh, it's the thorn in my side, right? I'm always going to struggle with depression. I'm always going to struggle with mental health. I'm, I'm always going to struggle with my trauma. I'm never going to be healed of this or that. And they use the thorn in Paul's side. This verse is an example because that's what, the, that's what Paul was pleading with the Lord three times removed. But we see in context, is, context is so important. We see in context within the verse and all the scriptures surrounding it that Paul is very clearly referring to the thorn in his side as persecution. It's actually persecution. So anyway, I love this verse because it confirms the start of what it says in Ephesians 6, that it is not our strength. It's not our strength. It's his we are strong in his strength. And y'all, it is truly such a privilege to be able to boast in that. Just like Paul says, how truly insufficient we are without Christ. But a lot of Christians continue to boast about how insufficient they are even with Christ. Am I right? But the truth is, we can boast in who we were because of who we are now, because it's all for his glory. It's all by his might. It's never our own power. It's all his glory. <laughs> um, so this verse also shows that we should, in fact, put on the armor. Because what Paul is actually saying there, what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 12, is that he is actually at peace with the hardships and persecutions. He is at peace with the attacks. Why? Because he knows the strength of Christ. He knows the strength of Christ. And like I said before, the only way to avoid the dinged up armor is to avoid those things. So we have his strength, right? It's by, his, we are strong by his might. Um, all right, let's bring that verse up again. So we are told to be strong as if there really isn't an option otherwise. That's how this whole 
That's how this whole section of Ephesians is introduced to us. We really don't have a choice. We're told to be strong. And you know why it's a command? It's because it's Christ's power by his might. And his power and his might is the very epitome of strength. It's the very epitome of strength. That's who he is. So the next line is, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. So what does that mean per se? Romans 13 verses 12 through 14 says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So clearly it's a different context than Ephesians 6, obviously, but it's the same language because ultimately different context, same message put on Christ, the armor of light, the armor of God and Christ himself, all interchangeable terms here. And really, I mean, although the context is different in a way, it's really not because Though, yes, we have Ephesians talking about spiritual warfare and this Romans verse here is talking about the flesh nature, they both ultimately lend to the same truth, which is to walk by the spirit and not of the flesh, right? Your identity is light. Your identity is light that you have been instructed to walk in. So... There is no provision for yourself or for the enemy when you cast off the works of darkness and you put on the armor of light, the armor of God. Again, interchangeable. So another kind of caveat to that, if you ask me that verse that I just shared, um, it really kind of shows how the enemy and the flesh go hand in hand, right? There wouldn't be such a constant persistence all throughout scripture to deny the flesh if the enemy didn't have some sort of dominion over it. Okay. Because after all, the enemy is the ruler of the kingdom of darkness and the works of the flesh are referred to as the works of darkness. So I don't know, y'all, it's almost like demons actually can operate through our flesh or something. And all those anti-deliverance people are wrong. I'm just saying. So, you know, to that point, actually, you know, like the the camp that stands strong in that belief that, you know, we are never told to cast out demons. We're only told to put on the armor of God. That's unbiblical, first of all, because we're actually told to do both. One by Jesus, one by Paul, both by the Holy Spirit, because it's all the same Bible. But what's the point of armor again, right? What's the point of armor? It's to keep the enemy out, so if we don't have our armor on, our flesh can actually be penetrated by something. Just saying. Okay, I'm moving on from that point. That's another episode. Um, back to the Ephesians verse. So the next line 
is we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so this is why it's so important to put that armor on. Because like I just said two seconds ago, it's not always just the flesh nature. It's what the flesh nature grants access to through the works of darkness that thus form an agreement to a faith in the kingdom of darkness. It literally says right here, it's not the flesh and blood we are up against. It's the rulers of the darkness of this world. And again, how interesting that those aforementioned sins, right? Let me see if I can remember what verse it was. Is it this one? Yeah. How interesting that those aforementioned sins are referred to as works of darkness, right? We fight not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of darkness, and all of the works of darkness here are sins in the flesh. Hmm. Interesting. But demons have no, have no operation in the flesh ever, right? Hmm. Anyway, so with the Ephesians verse, it's actually referring to different ranks of demons there because this verse indicates there are different levels of authority that the principalities of darkness operate under. Some are low-ranking demons. Some are high-ranking demons. Some have assignments stronger than others. And I believe a lot of this refers to the rebellion of the second heaven early on in scripture that we see in Genesis because it says spiritual wickedness in high places. Another translation says heavenly places, but that's a whole other topic. The point is... What Ephesians declares the armor is for is a battle that is in fact not against flesh and blood. And like I've said before, y'all, the body of Christ needs to wake up. The body of Christ needs to wake up to the supernatural reality and influence of this world that we live in because this stuff is real. And we have churches all across America that are preaching feel-good sermons about how Christianity is just a way to get through life um, and praying prayers to go to heaven, rather than equipping the church with the totality of truth in these scriptures and encouraging the spiritual authority we as believers have been given by Christ alone. Remember, like it says in that first verse, it's not by our power it's by his might. He has given it to us. Jesus said that we would do even greater things than him. And what did he do? Cast out demons, healed the sick, trampled on the darkness. And that same Jesus says this about us. Luke 10, 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. Nothing shall hurt you. What's the point of armor again? Protection. So that, right? Nothing will hurt you. See, Jesus is the armor of God. 
And again, that was confirmed by the interchangeable language in 2 Corinthians, where we're told to put on Christ, the armor of light, the armor of God, put on Christ. We just have to embody the faith to actually walk by that, y'all. So the next line in Ephesians 6 here, where it says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. So take unto you. The newer translations say put on. Put it on, just like we put on Christ, right? I love the King James Version language of take unto you, though, because the word take means that it's something for us to literally take, take for ourselves. To take something, you are in reception of it. To take is to receive. And why are we putting it on? Why are we taking the armor upon ourselves? Why are we receiving the armor in faith that it is ours to take upon ourselves by his might? says here, so that we may withstand the evil day, the NLT versions, so that we may resist the enemy in the time of evil. Both are so good. But the definition of withstand means to remain undamaged or unaffected. See that we are told to withstand. We are told to remain undamaged and unaffected yet we have christians that boast about how damaged they are and i'm not saying that to be mean it's just the truth and i used to do it so i know but this here is saying we are to remain undamaged again that's by his might like paul says we boast in our inability to ever do it alone it is only by the power of his spirit that a truth such as remain undamaged would ever be possible for us to live by. That's nothing we could ever do apart from him. But y'all, like what an honor it is that he has made it possible for us at all. What an honor that he died for that. What an honor that he paid for that on our behalf. Personally, guys, I never want to talk about how damaged I am because I'm not, or was, or whatever. I just want to rejoice in the completion he gave me through him. And that's, again, that's my exhortation for all of you, to just rejoice that you have been made complete unto Jesus Christ. But anyway, okay, so the verse says, withstand, resist, remain undamaged by the enemy by the evil day, which is the present time, because the present time is evil. Having done all to what? To stand. We stand. We as Christians stand to withstand. Stand to withstand sounds a lot different than praying a prayer to go to heaven. It sounds a lot different than, yeah, but I've been through this. I'm always going to struggle. There's always going to be sin. You don't know what I've been through. To stand sounds a lot different than laying down. In fact, it sounds exactly what it says. It, it sounds like we should stand to withstand, right? So m many people have made Christianity about survival mode. 
And honestly, like I swear a lot of the time, I feel like I'm not reading the same Bible. I can't tell you how many times I turn to my husband and I say, am I reading the same Bible as these people that live in survival mode as a Christian? And again, that's not something I'm saying to be like, oh, I'm better than you or anything to be mean. It just, it, it like actually breaks my heart. Because like I said before, this is good news. Like stand to withstand. Because in his power by his might, you you do have that strength because it's his strength that he has imparted unto you. Like look at what Christ has empowered us to be through him. It's actually a miracle. Like we are living in a miracle, y'all. It's not survival mode. We're living in a miracle. He died on the cross, not just to forgive us so that we can get through life by the skin of our teeth, hanging on by a thread to get to heaven. Okay. He died on the cross to restore us to the father. And that's why in scripture, you never see Paul complain. That's why he rejoices in his suffering, in his persecution, because he knows who the savior is that empowers him in spite of that. Because why? Because he has been restored to his image. It's not his own strength that he rejoices in. It's the strength that Christ has given him by his spirit. When Paul was restored to his image by the finished work on the cross. So Paul withstands to stand because Christ paid for us to stand. Like it is good news. It's such good news. It's such good news. Are you guys, are you guys doing all right in the chat right now? Cause I'm like sweating. Um, all right. So back to, back to those verses. Um, all right. Now we're going to go through the rest of these in Ephesians, but I want to elaborate specifically on each component of the armor. Okay. So we're about halfway down there. It says, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having your loins girt about with truth. Okay. So what is truth? Well, we know from John 14, 16, that Jesus's name is literally truth, but he says here in John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the truth is what sets you free. Knowing the truth, knowing Jesus sets you free. It's simple. It's simple. It's a miracle. It's a privilege. It's an honor. It's a right. And so we girt our loins with the truth. We girt our loins with the truth. And that's such an interesting placement, right? That the belt of truth, other translations say, would be over our loins, over our reproductive parts. I heard this once in a sermon a while ago. Why would we be guarding our loins with the truth of all things? It's because it's about reproducing truth, right? Those are our reproductive parts. Our loins are our reproductive parts. So we fasten the belt of truth over our waist. And if you've seen armor, like, you know how it kind of covers, you put it around the waist and it covers down, right? And it protects the most vulnerable, intimate parts of the body. 
the parts of the body responsible for reproduction. And the word says we cover that reproduction with truth. We gird it with truth. So it only makes sense that because we, in wearing the full armor of God, thus reproduce the truth, because we're guarding our loins with it. We're guarding our reproductive parts with the truth. So we reproduce the truth because reproducing the truth is what keeps us from reproducing lies. A reproduction of truth that makes us free, like it says in that verse, means that we are not captive to any lie. And therefore, those lies cannot multiply because our reproduction is protected by truth. So this inhibits the enemy from attacking your reproduction so that you are actually girded by a truth that sets you free. And the enemy being the very father of lies, whose native tongue is lying, who has no truth in him, according to Jesus, that enemy stands no chance against you when you have on the armor of God and walk by faith that you only reproduce truth, which is that Jesus made you free. Imagine if you lived every day in the multiplication of your freedom because that is your truth. And that's why it's the very first component of the armor. That's why it's the very first component of the armor, because it's the truth that makes you free. So moving on. After that, we have the breastplate of righteousness. It says, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. And y'all, righteousness has become such a dirty word in the body of Christ, which is funny because long story short, um, righteousness is the word of 2024 that the Lord gave me go figure. But it's, that's because it's not a dirty word. It's just a misunderstood one. It's taken out of context. Righteousness gets attacked by Christians, but this is what the Bible says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. So righteousness is actually the very thing God tells us to seek after, right? Righteousness is the very thing God tells us to seek after. We always stop at seek first the kingdom of God, but actually that full verse says, seek first the kingdom of God, dot, 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 and his righteousness. So Christians get mad when you talk about the very thing Jesus himself tells us that we should be seeking first. And it's not self-righteousness, by the way, it's his righteousness. But the interesting paradox is that self-righteousness actually can't humble itself enough to acknowledge that we are called to live unto his righteousness. So that's something interesting. It says here in... 1 Peter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Okay? You have been healed. So, you see, he died for so much more than to just forgive us and take us to heaven after this life. 
He died so that we may actually live to righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His righteousness is what defines you. But we let life identify us. Why? Because we don't have the armor on. <laughs> and the second piece of that armor is the breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because what does the breastplate protect? The heart. The breastplate protects the heart. That means his righteousness is actually guarded in our hearts to which the Bible says he has given us a new one. A heart literally made new by his righteousness, a heart therefore identified by his righteousness. It is by seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness that we guard our hearts. That's the breastplate of righteousness. And we let nothing penetrate that. We don't let the enemy creep into our heart. We don't let offense creep into our heart. We don't let things of the world creep into our heart. We withstand to stand, like Ephesians says, and we wear that armor, allowing his righteousness to guard that heart in the form of a breastplate so that we can become what he paid for and live unto it. So the third component of that armor and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of the peace. So I had to y'all spam in my chat right now saying Isaiah sent us. Isaiah is sending us over. <laughs> y'all. <laughs> Someone screenshot that. That's so funny. Hi, guys. <laughs> All right. So those of us just joining, we're going through the armor of God here. So uh, let's keep going. Let's keep going. <laughs> He's so funny. I love you, Isaiah. He's such a good brother. Okay. Um. So the third component of the armor, as listed here, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So I had to look up what shod means. It means to be equipped with. It means to be in bonds. It means to be knit or to be at one with. And obviously feet, right, are what we walk with. So the NLT version of this bit says, for shoes, put on the peace that comes with the good news so that you will be fully prepared. So, just, you know, the NLT is probably a little bit easier for you to comprehend what we're saying. What it's saying is that we're literally supposed to walk in the peace that is a byproduct of the gospel. And this comes after we are told to withstand to stand. We stand with our feet, so we stand on the peace of the gospel. We walk in the peace of the gospel, right? Again, all these things, standing in peace, walking in peace, it sounds a lot different than what I see in the American church or in the Christian sphere on Instagram. I mean, after all, being instructed to walk in the peace of the good news so that we are prepared must mean that, guys, it's actually possible to walk in peace. It's actually possible. Okay, look at this right here. John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. 
but take heart. I have overcome the world. Y'all, that's Jesus saying that, by the way, that you will have peace in him because he has overcome the world and in him we have peace amidst the tribulation. Guys, this is the good news. This is the good news of the gospel that prepares us for the tribulations and it's all only possible for us because of him. And this is the third or fourth time that I'm going back to that second Corinthians verse that I started with about boasting in our weakness because it means we're giving God the glory. That's what this is. We could never, if we were not born again believers, we could never walk in peace in this world without him. But Jesus promises that we have peace. His death made it possible. His spirit makes it possible. This is what I mean when I'm always saying to you guys that we aren't just saved for heaven someday. We are literally saved right now. It is possible to walk in peace amidst tribulation because the Lord has equipped us to do so. Because God doesn't just want us to see him or to use him as the crutch that we use to get through life. He wants us to reveal him, to reveal his son in the midst of life. The gospel is what has prepared us for that. That's what it says right here. The gospel has prepared us to walk in that peace. And that's part of our armor to put on. That's literally what is supposed to go onto our feet. Our feet, which is the means by which we walk through life. Peace. We walk in peace. Walk in peace. Walk in peace, right? <laughs> it's, a, it's the peace that surpasses all understanding. And by the way, that means we live peacefully too. That means we live peacefully too. And a lot of that aspect, living in peace, goes back to part two of this spiritual warfare series for Christians on forgiveness. If you haven't watched part one on repentance, part two on forgiveness, or part three on mind renewal, you need to do that after this, okay? Because it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And all those beatitudes, the blessed ours, right? That's never something that we could do on our own. It's only because of his Holy Spirit indwelling within us that we are enabled to live this out. Y'all, God is so good. God is so good. Okay, so the next component of the armor of God says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Notice how it says all of the fiery darts, not just some, it says all. And you'll notice how the shield of faith is the one piece of armor we are told to actually take above all, right? We're told to take our shield of faith above every other piece of the armor. It's almost like our faith really does actually matter to God. And like I always say this, Jesus emphasizes the faith of all those that he heals throughout the gospel for a reason. Because faith is an integral part of the human experience, of the Christian experience, rather. Faith is an integral part of the Christian experience. In fact, the Christian experience is not something we can actually have apart from faith. By the way, this is, by the way, the kind of faith that we are empowered to have by his grace, 
right here, Mark 11, 22, where it says, Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Jesus telling us that if we have the faith to move a mountain, it will move. Jesus tells us that. Oh, sister, that's a metaphor. Oh, you can't get in your head about that. You can't take that too literally. He doesn't mean it like that. Why are you making God wrong? I'm just reading to you what the Bible says word for word. And this particular verse, the context of this particular verse, it's when the disciples asked Jesus why they couldn't cast out a demon. And he literally tells them because they didn't have enough faith to do it. And look, again, I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm saying this to be real. We get so offended in the body of Christ when we bring up faith or a lack of faith, even though Jesus himself said things like, oh, faithless generation, how much longer must I be with you? And yet the church feels personally attacked when confronted with the word faith. It's just interesting because, again, in regard to the armor, it's the piece of equipment. It is the very shield that we are told to raise above all else. That means it's more important than all the other pieces of armor. And it's because without faith, actually wearing any of those other parts of the armor of God really isn't possible, right? Because like I said, it, the armor of God is not a physical outfit that you just put on. It's something you have to believe you're wearing because he paid for you to wear it on the cross. So as usual, I wanted to look up what a shield is used for in battle. And this is what the internet defined. It says shields are used to intercept specific attacks, whether from close ranged weaponry or projectiles such as arrows by means of active blocks, as well as to provide passive protection by closing one or more lines of engagement during combat. A shield is used to intercept specific attacks. And this verse, where is it? This verse says, all the darts of the enemy. Remember, the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy your faith. He can't have your salvation, so he wants your faith. That actually enables you to walk out your salvation. Because, look, say he tries to come up against another piece of the armor that we've already established, right? He shoots, um, he shoots a dart at your belt of truth, right? You put up the shield of faith and deflect that immediately. That's why the shield of faith is so important. It protects the other armor. So maybe it is actually possible to walk spotless in spotless armor after all, because I said at the beginning that <laughs> I stand corrected. Okay. The shield of faith actually does make it possible for our armor to be spotless. We don't have to be all dinged up. Okay. Glory to God. But see, look, the thing is though, your armor will be severely damaged without the shield. It will be. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So God may, yeah, maybe God really does want your armor unscathed, right? Because he wants you to actually be combating all of the attacks on the armor with the shield of faith, withstanding to stand shield of faith in hand. I'm really embarrassed that rhymed, but thank you, Jesus. You see how, you see how that works? Like, do you see how powerful faith is? The enemy can't even ching your armor, let alone your flesh, when your faith is actually raised up, when your shield of faith is actually raised up. 
That's what a loser the devil is. And that's how awesome God is. The devil is just like so ridiculously feeded, y'all. You having faith like that, faith that you can move a mountain if you tell it to move, it makes him tremble. Okay, so we have two more pieces of armor to go through. Then we're going to hang out in the chat. Bear with me. Are you guys okay? <laughs> Are you guys okay? Um, what is the helmet of salvation? It says, take the helmet of salvation. Well, that sounds a lot like mind renewal, right? Considering helmets are designed to protect your head. So therefore, simply put, the helmet of salvation is guarding your mind with the reality of your salvation. And I'm kind of beating a dead horse with this point, so I'm going to move through this one pretty fast. Um, so I'll just lay it out. Okay, salvation is being saved. We are saved by grace through faith. Grace is what empowers us to walk out to the salvation. So if you haven't already, go back to part three of this spiritual warfare series and check out the whole video on mind renewal that we talked about last week because I feel like it really embodies exactly what the helmet of salvation is. Basically, the enemy wants to attack your mind um, because if he can get into your mind, he can get into your heart and therefore corrupt your identity of God's righteousness. Because remember, the breastplate of righteousness guards your heart. And that's where he imputes his righteousness unto you. So if the enemy can get into your heart by first infiltrating your mind, then you actually don't walk in the empowerment of of his grace that enables you to live as the new creation Jesus actually paid for you to become, right? A new creation formed by the regeneration of his Holy Spirit that he has placed inside of you. That's a promise. So yeah, the TLDR version of the Mind Renewal episode that you need to go check out after this <laughs> is that the helmet of salvation is designed to protect your mind from anything that exalts itself above the world of God, which by the way, is described as the final piece of armor in Ephesians six as the sword of the spirit. Okay. Right there. It says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So swords obviously are used to attack the enemy in combat. Every other piece of armor that we've described already has been means of defense when entering battle. Whereas the sword is the very thing used in offense in the battle. It's not what is only used to withstand the fight, but it's actually used to engage in the fight. So basically, let's not be underestimating the word of God, y'all, our responsibility to get into it every day and to actually let it get into us because it's literally a sword. Hebrews describes it as sharper than any double-edged sword. So the word of God is quite possibly the most, oh no, quite literally, not possibly, forgive me, Lord. It is quite literally the most powerful weapon on the planet. That's why our faith, by the way, in every single word of it is so crucial. Now let's take that a step further. The word says that Jesus is the word made flesh, okay? The word says that Jesus is the word made flesh and the word made flesh died for you on a cross to put his spirit inside of you. Okay. Y'all, 
the cross of Jesus is not paid in full and fulfilled when someone prays a prayer to go to heaven. The cross of Jesus is paid in full when our nature is restored back to him. And walking in the light as he is the light, walking in the spirit as only he could ever enable us to do by his spirit. As far as the cross goes, the forgiveness of sin is not the end. It's just the beginning. But we make in the American church, we make forgiveness the goal. But it's not the goal. It's what enables us to the goal, which is transformation through the forgiveness. And I just hate to see us sell it any cheaper than that, y'all. God came as a man so that he could redeem man. And that is the word made flesh. So Jesus is the sword. Jesus is the sword. So we, as his, restored back to him, we have that spirit. So y'all, the armor of God is you just wearing what he paid for. The armor of God is you just wearing what he paid for because it's his armor. His armor that empowers us to live beyond what we were ever capable of without him. Okay, he didn't just die because you're some loser. And like so often we like begin and end there in a sermon or on Christian social media or whatever. That he just died because you're some loser that needed to be saved. Yes, your sin cost him his life, but he was willing to pay that price so that you could actually have new life and yield the sword of the spirit, which is the word, because Jesus is the word made flesh. He put that sword in your hand. And yet there are so many of us, grievably so, living like our hands are still tied behind our backs, held hostage by our old identity in the world, by our old trials or by attacks or by obstacles or by trauma or whatever it is. But no, the word says that we are free. Who the sun sets free is not just free. Who the sun sets free is actually free indeed. And that same son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he gave us the authority in that freedom to yield that sword of the spirit and thus not only protect ourselves from the enemy, but actually annihilate him altogether. So how's that for spiritual warfare? <laughs> All right. Um, so Ephesians 6 wraps up with praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We are commanded to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. So I hate to break it to y'all, but I'm actually not going to get into that right now because the final episode for the spiritual warfare for Christians series number five next week is actually on the topic of prayer and worship. So you better come back next week for that. And in the meantime, I know there's a lot of you that are that are new here in the chat, not me sweating. Um, <laughs> I started the spiritual warfare for, <coughs> for Christian series a couple weeks ago. This is the fourth episode. So we have number one on repentance, number two on forgiveness, number three on mind renewal, 
This is number four on the armor of God. Next week, we're wrapping up with number five, prayer and worship. Highly recommend you catch up on those if you haven't already, parts one through three. And of course, go back and watch the beginning of this that y'all missed because you were getting delivered in Isaiah's chat. <laughs> By the way, thank you for, he first delivered you, then he delivered you to me. So I really appreciate that. But I will say, going back to the Ephesians 6 thing, like kind of closing on that line with perseverance, it says this. So let's end with this. Okay. Matthew 24, 13, the one who endures to the end shall be saved. Okay. So it wraps it up all perfectly with our instructions in Ephesians 6, where we're called to withstand, to stand, right? We're called to persevere, to endure, all of which, again, is only made possible by his Holy Spirit living literally within all of us. His Holy Spirit, by the way, that is always willing. It's always willing. So we're going to hang out in the chat for some Q&A in a minute, but in the meantime, I just want to say that I really pray that this was empowering for you and edifying for your faith. I pray that you truly know how much Jesus loves you and that he died for you to become that love. Okay. You're not just a forgiven sinner with no chance or purpose of change. And I know that's like a popular lie that's sold and bought a lot of the time, but you're not just a forgiven sinner with no chance or purpose to change because receiving his love actually changes you. So I pray that we don't just hear these verses like Ephesians 6 and think it's cool, but we just take on the form of godliness and deny the power thereof, right? Because the truth is, Christianity is not God taking care of you, and the armor of God is something you are actually instructed to put on. It's not getting through life in survival mode. It's, it's revealing him in the midst of life. The armor of God is putting on Christ. The armor of God is the preservation of the new life that he has already put inside of you and walking in faith to protect and preserve that and to actually demonstrate that. So my prayer for everyone right now that is listening is that we walk out that faith every day. So I'm just gonna close out in a quick prayer. I'm gonna make some announcements and then hang out in the live chat Q&A. So Father God, I just pray and thanks, first of all, for my brother Isaiah sending all these people here to me right now. Lord, I pray that you would just bless every single one of them right now. You brought them here because you wanted them to hear this prayer. You wanted them to hear this message. You actually want every single one of these people that you brought to my channel right now for the first time to put on the armor of God. You want them to walk by faith. And so Lord, my prayer for everyone listening under the sound of my voice right now is that you would walk by faith and not by sight, that you would put on the whole armor of God, that you would withstand to stand against the attacks of the enemy, that you would have that faith that could move a mountain if you told it to move in Jesus name, that you would not let the enemy steal, kill, or destroy your faith, that you would not walk in this mindset that you are just living as a Christian that needs to get through life, but that you would reveal God in the midst of your life in all things. My prayer for you right now in Jesus name is that you would not just wait to be saved for when you get to heaven, but that you would Walk out your salvation and live like you're saved right now. And I pray all these things over you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
Okay. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Um, so quick thing, um, few announcements. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Heaven and Healing Podcast. I pray that you are blessed by it. Please do consider financially partnering with the ministry. Different ways to support the show are listed in the episode description. So be sure to check that out. If you were fed today, don't just dine and dash. <laughs> and be sure to share this episode with a friend or family member that you feel could use it. Post it to your Instagram story and tag me so that I can personally thank you for supporting Heaven and Healing. If you are interested in hearing or watching the Q&A live chat that happens at the end of every live stream, you'll have to subscribe to Heaven and Healing Podcast on YouTube to watch the rest of the stream where we do that live Q&A at the end. Thank you all so much again and God bless.